The file you are listening to is an audio commentary by some of the Starship Excelsior production staff, not a real episode. We regularly produce this kind of bonus content, but we only include the most recent one in our official feed. If you want to hear the others, visit starshipexcelsior.com, click Episodes, and scroll down to Behind the Scenes. It's not paywalled or anything, we just don't like the clutter. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Good evening, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of a behind-the-scenes commentary on Starship Excelsior. And tonight, we're privileged to have a very special guest with us. First, I'll introduce myself. I'm Mike Hennessy, uh, listed as co-producer on Starship Excelsior. Our executive producer, James Haney, is here with us. Also, very special guest, Christopher Roberson. And uh, we'll let Chris introduce himself here in just a moment. But Chris uh, wrote the one and only so far standalone episode of, uh, of Starship Excelsior, a very special episode called No One Gets Out Alive. And it's a very good episode. Uh, and uh, we really wanted to thank uh, Chris for joining us. Chris, welcome. Well, I really want to thank you guys. I mean, it's been a while since we've had a chance to uh, to chat, and I don't think we've formally met. So, just being able to see a name to a face is great. And really, you know, I, I thank you guys for just allowing me to be a part of this really cool team and participate. And you know, really, just uh, it was a, it's a joy to revisit. So, thank you, uh, uh, James. You had the idea of you had the germ of the idea that that became no one gets out alive. Could you uh, talk a little bit about how the idea came about uh, of uh, someone from the outside, as it were writing this script? Well, yeah, um, way back. One of the, one of the things I really love about Star Trek in the nineties was that it was just about the only show in Hollywood where anyone could submit a script. Uh, You could be some nobody for like an ex Marine from Iowa and send ship a script to them and someone would read it and you know your odds were not great but if they really liked it they would you know they they'd buy it uh and that's how some great writers including Ronald D Moore who's gone on to do Battlestar Galactica and more recently uh For All Mankind got his start when he submitted the script that became the bonding for the next generation and I said well we're running a Star Trek show we're trying to honor what Star Trek is all about let's take some scripts in let's let's, let's do a thing um so I I I just kind of decided it I I guess it was 13 years ago. Maybe there was more to the story then, <laughs> but uh, uh, we decided let's throw a contest. Uh, I assembled my expert panel of judges, which as I recall was, was you, Mike, right? And I was, I was in on this. Yeah. And uh, Leanna Keys was the other, because uh, Leanna was running the, the role-playing game for Excelsior at the time and was also a co-producer on the show. And, uh, and we just opened the doors and said, uh, anyone who wants to submit a script, please come in. And we advertised it. And I was very pleased that we got some good scripts. And then we, we had uh, five, well, we had pitches at first. We had five pitches. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And then we, we took five, the best five pitches and said, please uh, turn these into scripts. And then we read the scripts and Chris, uh, Chris's was the, uh, the top, uh, the no one gets out alive. And we, I don't, I don't recall it being a very difficult decision. Uh, uh, in the end, uh, although I think Aaron Bossig, who eventually wrote an episode for us, was also in that first contest. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, he, he finally did an episode for us in 2019. So another example of things taking a long time to happen on Excelsior, but mm-hmm. uh, they do happen. <laughs> yeah. um, so, 
Uh, and I, we were delighted to have it. I, I knew nothing about Christian Roberson at the time. I still know nothing about Christian Roberson, except that he wrote this episode. And I'm really happy to meet him. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, so Chris, um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Give us uh, some of your uh, some of your background. And I'm very impressed by it and uh, very pleased that uh, that you were, um, saw your way clear to, to write for us. Um, what, what are you now and what were you 13 years ago when you wrote the script? Well, the thing that I was then and now has been a, a Trekkie, you know, a fan of Star Trek. That's something that my parents watched and, you know, I loved watching. I, I have a 14 year old. I, I, I have her watch it. You know, I, I do think that as the years have gone on, you know, I think sci-fi was a bit of a pejorative. That's what, that's what nerds and geeks watched. And now it's just, it's just really accepted. So first and foremost, I'm a Trekkie. I'm a, a, a sci-fi fan. Um, growing up, um, I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of sketch comedy and things like that. This is pre-internet. So uh, I was in a comedy troupe back in the 90s. And um, once the internet kind of came about, I really embraced it. So a lot of stuff we did sketch-wise went on the internet, but that required a knowledge of how to compress files and edit. So I kind of became the person that figured that stuff out. So I'm really a generalist. I think the average person focuses on cinematography, focus on on directing. But as the years have gone on, I, I kind of do whatever comes across my plate. So I edit, I write, I produce, I, I direct. So I, I kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, I think the one consistent thing I've been doing since 1999 has been teaching at NYU. Uh, I teach filmmaking, undergraduate film and television, and that's been uh, a great ride. And uh, certainly, so I, cool. I, yeah, I mean, it, it's, really it's cool. been it's been really cool. That it's been weird that there's been, I think, the, the most technological advances happened in the past 15 years versus the past uh, 100 years. So I, I kind of feel like I'm at the, the ground zero site for all these changes in how the industry works and Netflix and all these other other exciting alternate methods to telling a story besides television. So you know, I think just uh, writing the script was just a, a great way to not, not only indulge in my fandom, but also be a part of another great community. So again, thank you for having me be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And we've got, along with Jim Swagato, we've got somebody else who actually knows what they're doing when it comes to <laughs> because we really uh, made it up on the fly. Uh, yeah, I love hearing about you just learning how to do things on the internet because that's that's how Excelsior got going. <laughs> well, it's it certainly was, and uh, it's it's this is an interesting one. This is one that's very near and dear to my heart because um, perhaps some people don't know James was actually still in high school when this when, when it came up with this idea right yes. i've and, finally grown into this i, I look right, like an actual yeah. producer now <laughs> yeah. and uh at the time he was all uh, as time went on at the time that this episode was produced he was able to study in rome as part of his uh part of his college work and uh let's talk a little bit about what you were doing there james oh studying in rome i was mm-hmm. going to the uh Pontifical Academy of St. Thomas Aquinas and uh, learning uh, uh, modern philosophy. It was terrific. Uh, but it obviously also meant I had no internet connection because I, 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 there, there's no inter- there At least in 2008, there was no Italy, n- internet in Italy <laughs> that worked well. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, I didn't have access to my usual uh, suite of tools. So I had to ask Mike, hey, Mike, uh, can you run this episode for me? Because I'm going to be gone for four months. Uh, and uh, you stepped up. You said, yeah. Yeah, and 
it was a pretty amazing ride because there were a lot of things that I didn't know, and there were all and uh, there were things that I knew I didn't know, but there were things that I didn't know I didn't know, uh, <laughs> and I found some of those out the, the hard way. Uh, what I am absolutely most singularly proud of, though, is that this was scheduled for Boxing Day, and two thousand nine, and we got it out on Boxing Day of two thousand nine, and maybe. That the only just... time we've ever made deadlines is for Boxing Day episodes. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, it's, it's going to be Boxing Day or it's not going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so... you were the first. That was our, this was our first Boxing Day special. And we've done many, you know, shorts since then. But this is a full-length episode on Boxing Day produced over, partly over Christmas. You did mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. We should start it. Let's hear this thing. Yeah, let's, let's get rolling here. And, uh, Chris, what we're going to do here is we're going to have a, have a countdown and I'm going to call this up on my, on my uh, stream here. I've got the right episode. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to count down from three and then we're going to take it and uh, you'll hear me talking and we'll be ready to go. And we'll just kind of do mystery science theater three, uh, 3000. We'll just uh, be uh, talking over it and making comments and, Sounds and, good to me. Uh, and see if we can have some fun. Okay. And we'll start rolling in three, Two, one. During 2009, Star Trek Excelsior right, asked its fans turn you down, to take Mike. part in a script writing contest for a very special episode to be presented introduction on there. Boxing Day of 2009. Out of the initial wave of submissions, I mean, we kind of just talked about all this, so I feel no guilt about talking right over it. Two thousand nine is kind of kind of funny, right? Because I mean, now we've got at least three Star Trek series going on simultaneously. Oh nine, it was just the reboot. There was no Star Trek TV going on. There's very little presence. So yes, it's been such a strange. When we started Excelsior, right? It's two thousand seven. Enterprise is dead. It looks like there's never going to be any more Star Trek. We're like, we can do whatever we want. And then they announced the reboot, and it's like, okay, we can't do anything we want. But they're going to be in a different universe. They're going to be in the past. It's going to be. They're going to stay out of our way for. And somehow we kept on lucking out for. It's almost 15 years. And then finally CBS said, no, we're going to do shows in the 24th century. And it's like, okay, great. That's wonderful. I'm glad I get to watch more Star Trek. But also now I have to worry about Star Trek continuity again for the first time in 15 years. Um, yeah, this, this one I like, just the, just the intriguing idea of starting off with a game of Parisi Square, which had been talked about, but nobody knew anything about it, except it could get a little violent at times. <laughs> yeah, how'd you uh, come up with the... Uh, the rules of Parisi Squares, Chris. Well, yeah, that, that's the thing that I, I had a lot of fun with because I knew this was audio and we wouldn't be able, you know, we can still kind of play it vague and not necessarily have to be so definitive on certain things. But, uh, you know, as always, I, I went to the one place that everyone goes to, Memory Alpha. And uh, Memory Alpha has this great breakdown of, of just the compilations of what people no, and headcanon stuff like that. So a, a good a good chunk of it was memory alpha and some other stuff. Just me taking liberties and and kind of playing around with the notion of like we can hear these things, and then the theater of the mind will kind of figure you know fill the rest of the stuff in. It's so hard to imagine how people wrote Star Trek before memory alpha existed. I know there was a time, but how? Well, my. Um, my shelf has like Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise, and I have got all the technical journals. So you, you had to buy the official books, and it got expensive. And, and, yeah, and, but know, even then, I mean, you've got the encyclopedia. I've got my technical yeah. manuals. I got my star charts, but it doesn't say here's every reference to Parisi squares in history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
True. Yeah. What I find intriguing about this is that this is this is kind of a road not taken because you decided early on, James, that we were going to have a oh this huge overarching story Are you two all right? that would that would that would form the foundation of of the whole series. Where it could have just oh, as easily oh been, you could have just as easily decided that it would be episodic, and we'd just do one episode and. And they would all be standalones. And this, mm-hmm. is, this is kind of a sample of, of what it might have sounded yes. like. It's it's kind of an interesting Indeed. what if. Hooray for um, if we'd just done now. stories sequentially. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And eventually we did do that. I enjoyed No One Gets Out Alive so much. I was like, we got to do a whole season of these. So we did season four. And that was all standalone episodes like this. Um, but it took us a while to get there. Um Of course, I've always felt... uh, At this point in the show's continuity, Cortez was unconscious in sickbay because of what had happened at Philandria. Um, And and you were aware of that while you were writing it. But everyone everyone who submitted scripts assumed, because I didn't tell anyone otherwise, that Cortez was going to be back. Uh, And so everyone wrote, you know, Cortez as a regular character in the script. And then we killed her the next season without her ever regaining consciousness, making... All of the scripts that were submitted, continuity-wise, not impossible, uh, but difficult. Uh, and I was just like, did you notice when we killed Cortez and then be like, hey, what'd you do to my story? Or <laughs> I mean, I, I, I unfortunately am one of those people that is like, I, I, I watch a Star Trek episode and I've got, I'm taking notes. And I've got highlighters and stuff like that. So it's like when you look at... Like, uh, you know, you have that old school mentality of you, if you take all the episodes and actually line it up based on star dates, certain things don't work and things like that. So I, I was oh, thinking yeah. that I was thinking that maybe there was like a temporal anomaly or maybe there was some sort of maybe some of the stuff happened in a holodeck. So I had some stuff that, that I was like, uh, there's got to be something that happened off screen we don't know about. So yeah. I, I kind of made it work. But my, yeah, I my, was wondering. My best theory, I've, I've thought about this for years, obviously, but uh, my best theory is that when they were on their way back from Valandria to Starbase 911, they came in range of the Vidian, you know, the Vidian mental, I don't want to spoil the episode for anyone who hasn't heard it, but the Vidian mental, uh, you know, uh, memorial thing, and it projected this this fantasy for them, but first it projected a shell fantasy for them, wherein... Captain Cortez was still alive and conscious, and it was using her consciousness even though she was unconscious in sickbay. Uh, but that's a little bit far-fetched. Um, I, I like it, though. I like yeah. it. I think one of my favorites was that if you line up Next Generation in order, um, episodes happen where Lieutenant Yar dies, and then do we still see her? And so, you know, like some, One of the, the theories was like, Data was so bereaved that he dressed up as Yar like, while, while she was dead. I'm like, oh, let I like it that. happen. Let's just let it happen. Like, okay. like who's yeah. that going to hurt? It's right. fine. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Phil Farron had these nitpickers guides to the next generation back when I was growing up. Did you have those? Yeah. Oh, yes. you recognize it. Yes. He, had this, he had a wonderful feature in it called The Creator is Always Right. And he had, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of nits. And then he would have a quiz in the middle of the book that says, the creator is always right. Here's a here's a sequence of scenarios. Uh, which one of these explains away a nit that happened once? Uh, and there were these wildly elaborate explanations of like, why are there three different Tamarian species? Or yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, why, that one time that Riker turned right after the computer told left, it was because of a famous computer programmer who uh, screwed up right and left the Universal Translator and died sad and had to commit suicide because of his shame. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I, I'm all into those things. Absolutely. Great. I, I, oh, you know. great. 
But the I'm one of those fans, yeah. Is perfect. We'll be fine. Yep. Good enough. Okay. All right, we've beamed down to the spooky planet. Yeah, and something didn't smell right right from the beginning. Uh, you did a good, really did a good job of this because there's there's just one of those things where it's like, oh, everything's great, isn't it? This is wonderful. Uh, you know, the atmosphere is perfect. Everything's wonderful, and it's like, yeah, well, no, there's... <laughs> yeah, you got this Star Trek trope of the of the calm before the storm. Mm -hmm. You have a little bit of the, of the witty banter pulled over from, you know, the the opening scene. So, yeah, all is well until, you know, until the yeah. fighting incident. Until it hits the fan. And... Yeah. yeah. But already we know something something feels weird. You've got that music going on. Uh, and I should say, and I'm going to steal my own comments from later on in this episode, and I'll regret it when we get there. Um, but uh, I am famous and really annoying to some of the staff uh and how i control the soundtrack uh the the score for each episode uh i people send in music suggestions and i listen to them politely and then i almost 99 percent of the time i reject them uh and i put in my own choice of music but in this episode chris for the first time ever was a writer who and also the last time ever now i think about it was a writer who submitted uh music suggestions and i think pretty much the whole episode ended up being scored according to those suggestions i accepted all the suggestions because they work cool. really well. Um, where, where'd you get them? <laughs> well, I think that might have been just because my film background. I think just because of uh, my relationship to the industry. When people go to the gym, they might listen to music from you know their favorite bands. I listen to soundtracks to movies. You know, I jog to them. So I love it. A lot of them were were this stuff that just stuck out for me. That was that was orchestral. That kind of seemed multiple multi-genre. So a lot of stuff was like from There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff was from uh, stuff that wasn't typically sci-fi. That is yeah. be Apocalypto was in there, and I was like, yeah. I never thought of using Apocalypto for Excelsior. Uh, I, I like that. Yeah, you know that it had it 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 felt somewhat. Uh, evocative, it's felt somewhat exotic, yet grounded, and um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I thought that felt somewhat alien. So, yeah, I did, they kind of, kind of dug it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought going this, that far outside of the Star Trek sort of realm would previously mostly been Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, and Doctor Who music. And I thought that going that way would be too weird, so I never really explored it. But then when you hear it in here, it, it fits in really nicely. Uh, I think there's an M. Night Shyamalan movie in here. I don't remember which one. Uh, oh, I actually was able to grab the. I I was able to track down the script, um, so I can. Oh God! <laughs> I'll see if I can. Sensors are running pretty close to the maximum already, Captain. The old script library. There will be blood. Yeah. There'll be blood. There'll be blood. Physical modification on the main. There's so much. There'll be blood in here. The fountain. That was it. The fountain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Never would have crossed my mind. Uh, so. Fountains another, and also too, too just uh, looking at the the table of contents. I totally forgot that uh, all the secondary characters are just uh, friends of mine. So uh, even um, the the Vidian um, holographic uh, medical program Gavi. Gavi. That, that's my friend, <laughs> um, Gabi, and uh, I, I, I'm friends with her. But her husband, I went to junior high with. And we're really good friends, and you know, he was the one that we would go to his house and 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 play Starfleet battles, and play Shadowrun, and play games on his uh, on his Commodore computer. So it was a shout out to her, and um, yeah, just looking at all the names, it's just like friends of mine from college and high school. So one thing that I like here too is is just. 
most hospitals uh, indulging my inner nerd yeah. is that I really like the fact that in this case we actually have proper protocol being followed we've got Dovan the executive officer leading the away team which is really the way that makes sense I mean from a storytelling standpoint so many times you have to have the captain being down it, it has to be just simply to make the story work but really the the idea of having the executive officer be the person leading the away teams really made perfect sense when I first heard the idea from TNG and uh, it makes sense now but there like I say there are reasons why from a storytelling standpoint that you really just can't do it that way every time but but it really made this work I think and really had a good had a good feel for it and, and a good uh, from a continuity standpoint with the overall Star Trek arc I think it really made perfect sense oh good yeah and it, it's, it's I, I think that's the protocol for the time right I, I can't mm -hmm. picture uh, uh, I can't picture Kirk staying on the ship and just Spock beaming down by himself. It just wouldn't work. You need you. Even Kirk would, wouldn't allow it. You know. But Picard's like, yeah, Riker would go down there. So, 24th century, I do think is a little more. I mean, I think they even said that the 23rd century is a bit of a wild west, and 24th century was a little more of the of the routine and the, the more traditional navy that we're we that we're accustomed to. Yeah. How many times can you get a captain killed on an away team before you figure out this may not be the best way to do that? <laughs> and indeed, how does Captain Cortez die? She goes on an away team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Okay. Here's this is interesting. This is some good. This is this is a good bit of sound getting Gabby's startup. I yeah. I did. I did this. This this was this fun. was nice. Mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, her cycling through languages was one of those script lines. I was like, I don't know if that's going to sound right when it comes out in real life, but it sounded good. She even did the clicks, and it came through. Came through well. Captain, a medical hologram just. I have Janet Green play all my robots. Holograms are obsolete. I am Gavi. I'm a product of. Now Jan's been with us for quite some time. Well, since this episode, I think this is Jan's first episode. Maybe your second. Might have been the second, but yeah, because uh, she was in she was Master Sen in two hundred one, which I think came out right before this. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the orders now. It's been so long. Tactile sensitivity mm -hmm. sounds like a surgical hologram. Looks like flesh and blood. Gavi, can you please hold out your hand? So does um does Gavi and and Parrelson and Brackinson in real life do they do they know that they've been uh immortalized in a Star Trek episode? Well, a fan Star Trek episode anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they. I mean, uh, we all uh, grew up together and, and loved watching movies, and uh, I was the one that stuck to it. So that's my shout out and my homage to them. And, and they, you know, they're, they're always very tickled. Like, hey, as a heads up, I put you uh, in my movie. Hey, as a heads up, you're my script. And and oh, every time great. it's like, it's like, thanks, Chris. You didn't have to do that. I, I do appreciate it. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I um I put my girlfriend's brother in this script later on. There's an unnamed random crew member, and I just made him Ensign Enderby uh, for background chatter. Uh, and I later married the the girl, so now he's my brother-in-law. And it's like, did I tell him I killed him? I never did. Never did. <laughs> Better that he doesn't find out. Better exactly. He finds yeah. out on his own. He'll be yeah. Yeah. One of the things. One of the things that made this episode doable. Um, in the time frame that we had was that uh, for some reason the the effects worked 
we didn't have the situation of being stonewalled by some by not being able to find an effect. And Chris, I've mentioned this before to James and some of the other audience members have heard it. It's like the more exotic the sounds are, the easier they are to come up with. Uh, what what kills you are mundane things. Like I, I did an episode of another series for somebody and they were supposed to be sitting around the kitchen table sitting in chairs. How do you do that? That was that. I nearly went nuts trying to find yeah. the idea of, of like clinking or or chairs scraping up to the table. Just these kind of mundane everyday things are really really difficult. But for some reason, everything clicked in this episode, where everything was like, okay, I, I, I see what's see what's going on there. Did you have that in mind, or was it just ah, let them deal with it? <laughs> oh, I mean, I I do think that it is funny, right? Like in a Star Trek setting like why does the like why does going to warp sound so damn good why does a phaser sound so good these things don't <laughs> exist but we just accept them as true and it's it, you know again it's that it's that theater of the mind where you're able to picture it in vision it's like oh it worked out so um yeah i mean i do think that with the exception of them going on the asteroid uh it kind of is like a like a bottle episode you know where it's like it all takes place on the ship and um, you know, I, I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm like, you know, we found this new society with this new technology. So it's Vidians. We know them. We know them well. We, you know, we know them from Voyager. Um, so yeah, I tried to I tried to keep things fairly new and try and, and not have things be so so absolutely crazy that um, you have to do you have to create you know whole new worlds, but still enough that there's like, hey, Precy Squares, let, let's let's have fun. Let's let's. That was a great scene i know we've moved on from it now but because there's all this there's all this movement in it um even though it's an audio but you can and you're mike and i think gary did that scene that was a long time ago now uh but uh the getting the movement in that scene to pop really worked and helped show me hey we can do these things Mm -hmm. having you write a script uh showed me a lot of things we could do that had never occurred to me we could do before um Mm -hmm. because I was listening to, I was, it was me writing this and I was listening to Darker Project Section 31 files, which was also basically one guy's show at that time. So I, I didn't fully appreciate what the audio format could do yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Chris, uh, go ahead and uh, if, tell us, is, is there anything that kind of went clunk at, at some point, say, or, or that, that's, not, that's not the way I should put it. Was there anything where you said, okay, where you're writing it as, I was thinking, it would be this, and it came out to be that, where something something was just like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Uh, they did it that way. Well, it was, you know, it was... Oh, uh, no, I, I mean, I think the one thing that I was so impressed by was, again, I, I purposely left Percy Squares. I know, we, you know, again, we left the scene, but just like, like I, I, I didn't know. I was like, I, there's, there's no way my, my feeble mind's going to come up with it. I think, you know, let, let, let me see what what's going to be about, but yeah, I mean, just just uh, uh, you know, I'm I, I I I like those things of like walking down the hallway and 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 like being on the bridge and like you know like it, it's just being a trekkie. You want to visualize these things and see these things. So no, no, no. I was I was just so very happy that like wow, this world is really just it's just layered and and it was nice just to have it uh, blossom. So no, it, it, everything was. Uh, satisfying, not not massively surprising. Again, except for the Precy Square stuff. Like, wow, how are they going to do that? But just again, it felt like <laughs> someone was running and they got the hammer, and it's like you know, it, it, it's like wow, that's that's nuts. I can escort him up, Captain. You know, perfect. 
I'm sorry we keep putting you on the spot, Chris. It's um, uh, Mike and I have done nine of the, seven, I don't know several of these before, and so we've you know, you know said everything to each other that we know how to say. But um, uh, I was wondering, how did you encounter Excelsior? How did you find us? Oh, I got to think about that because certainly in '09, like we talked about, there isn't a whole lot yeah. of Trek compared to what we have today. Right. So I do think I was probably. Um, I don't know if you had pushed it on like what was around like uh, Trek Today, Trek Today, Trek BBS, Trek Web, right? Yeah. So I was I was on those sites daily. So I might have seen something that was posted there. Um, but also too, you know, just uh, you know, again, in in twenty twenty two, there's just so much Trek, and thank goodness. But you know, in oh nine, you know, if you did a search, you're you're gonna you're not gonna still be buried on the bottom of the pile. <laughs> I mean, oddly enough, my very first exposure to the internet was in 1997. The very first thing I, 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 I ever, I remember sitting in front of a computer, I was in college, I was in a dorm, and there was this computer, I was like, what do I do with it? And I, of course, I typed in Star Trek. And the first thing that comes up, it says Star Trek Insurrection, and it's a script, and I download it, I'm like, what is this? And I read it, and then I was like, oh, that's weird, I guess somebody wrote this script. And then I saw the movie. I was like, wait a minute. I downloaded it. How did I get the script to this movie? And then I'm, I'm with a bunch of friends. I'm like, this is what's going to happen next. I'm like, how did you know? I was like, how did I know? And through the power of want, I was I downloaded through, through, through very easy means the entirety of Star Like I like I, I read about the, the cut scene where um, it's uh, it's Quark. Right? And oh, like, yeah. I was all, He's yeah, going like, to try and sell script. things. Yeah. That was in the script. Of my, so, uh, yeah, so my very first internet experience was uh, was Star Trek. So Accidentally getting a leaked copy of Insurrection. The entirety of the script. It was And it was the easiest thing to do. And people were like, how did you do it? I was like, I don't know how I did it. This, this is the first thing that showed up in the queue. I didn't, I didn't have to try hard. <sighs> it says something about uh, security protocols back in that time. <laughs> we, can, we can only hope that it would be a little bit more difficult to do that today. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, but certainly finding Excelsior was was such a, a joy because I, I, not only were, were you doing it, you were taking it seriously, there was a continuity, there was a production value. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is great. It, it just it just felt like, okay, you know what, um, us fans will we'll, we'll keep things going until it picks up again, and now it's picked up again, you know, the Strange New Worlds and, and Prodigy, and, 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 you know, but, like, why are those things here? Because Excelsior and other, other great fans kept those fires burning until someone's like, we'll take it from here. So, you know, again, I think uh, uh, it was a time where there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on. I was like, well, this is good stuff. And while we're waiting, we, we, we got the voices, we got the talent, and it was it was great. Let's make some shows. Yeah. yeah. It was a real uh it was a real briar patch here for that first first uh first <laughs> briar patch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> but uh that was a it was one of those things where you know, a lot of things could have derailed the whole the whole shooting match. Uh, but uh, we were determined and lucky and, and lucky enough uh, to 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 get things rolling. And uh, as we went along, we started attracting more and more people with more and more real talent for for this. 
um, because I, I don't say that uh, we didn't do good work in the early days. We did a lot of good work, but it was one of those things where we were making it up as we went along, and then you have people like Gary Cobham, Jim Spagata came, came on board, people who really had a lot of experience in the in the real world of 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 entertainment and uh really really helped us up our game but it but it sounds like you're describing the beginning of all star trek right every single star trek that first season was having to figure out what the voice was and, and finding their legs so season one of star trek next generation good but then two three four oh okay they figured it out you know d space nine first season good Ah, then they figured it out, you know, Voyager, you know, so if you're telling me the first, you know, your first season had to figure it out, it's like, well, that's just, that sounds like Trek to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does feel like a great bird somewhere might have been looking out for us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Were, some of those we, early days no, we could have just detonated, but we didn't. We kept on surviving. No, no, and now, like, now no, nothing can kill us, it seems. <laughs> 17 <laughs> years old. That's good legacy. It's good, it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Although my kids are starting to, you know, really get into the news tracks. Uh, we just finished Prodigy yesterday, and uh, Sabina, my elder daughter, was like, how long until the next season, Dad? Oh, you know, a couple months. Oh, no! I was like, kid, let me tell you about the wait between Battlestar Galactica season three and four. <laughs> I mean, I think the the longest summer of my life was uh, was the the end of Best of Both Worlds Part One. Riker says, oh, yeah. to be continued." And I was, I remember every single month was just the longest wait of my life. And, you know, um, and nowadays too, the fact that you know, I I told you know my kid like if I wanted to see Star Trek, I'd have to go to the library and get VHS tapes and rent yeah. them because uh, there's no other way to to see this stuff. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but also too, again, just the notion that Paramount is, uh, has a light touch like, Hey, if you're not monetizing content and you're just, you're, you're a fan and you want to make stuff, we'll let you make stuff. And that's unprecedented. Every other place will crack down on you and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll threaten you for using, you know, fonts, you know, for, for, you know, but, um, uh, yeah. but you know, to, to, thanks to, I, 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 I'm curious. I wonder who, I don't know if it was Roddenberry, but I wonder who, who let that policy happen because I think, again, it's nice to be a fan and not feel like, oh, I don't want, I'm going to make this and see how long it is before someone takes it down. It's like, no, this, this stuff is here to stay. I, I think it how all, it was Roddenberry was always very indulgent to fans. And then there was like one moment in 1998, right after Viacom, right after they launched StarTrek.com, I recall they tried to shut down everything. Like they sent cease and desist to, cease and desist to all the fan sites. And there was such a huge backlash. I think they just learned, oh, wait, no, we should keep doing what Roddenberry was doing. Uh, and who the guy in charge of CBS licensing now, uh, John Van Sitters, has kept that uh, that ethos very much at heart throughout his turn and so we've occasionally referenced him in the show because we're really glad to john van sitters has not destroyed us which he could do at any time presumably yeah yeah we yeah. kind of live with our own sort of damocles you know because <laughs> at some point if somebody wants to push the button we get nuked and uh, that's 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 all she wrote but yeah. yeah well yeah there's no real defense it's like this is a this is, you know, we don't own this intellectual property, but the the powers that be like, no, just play nice in the sandbox, return the tools where you found them. Uh, that is a 
that is a kind, kind, uh, you know, uh, yeah. gift. And then we don't have to explore new ex exploratory versions of the fair use doctrine. Right. Just, everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you see here that, uh, you know, some things are getting ready to go south here, I think. Oh, in the show. I thought you meant in real life. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, what, what happened? Like, I mean, go I know you broke your ankle, Mike, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I know I think some things, this, we're getting to the point now, I think, where everybody's like, uh, uh, don't open that door. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like the It's too late. The phage is gone, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, they haven't noticed it yet. Yeah. Hermes is going to die for the first of several times. I, I thought it was, it, uh, what I liked about the Vidians was it was like a, Star Trek kind of dipping a tone to body horror, mm -hmm. like uh, yeah. like David Cronenbergian kind of like, you know, just people just just lumpy flesh spots. And um, I was I was kind of impressed by. It. I think if it did it today, it'd be it'd be it'd be much it would be more like Hellraiser. It'd be like just bloody and gross. But I was kind of I, I was really kind of impressed that the that the yeah this race of patchwork people. So I, I kind of dug the. Yeah, I always dug the Vidians. Had a soft spot yeah. in my heart for them. They did a good job of developing the the Vidians because I think they really made it. They really did raise interesting issues, and it's like, yeah, I mean, who who's to say that we wouldn't do the same thing if we were in the same spot? I mean, we'd like to think we wouldn't. That maybe we'd find a better way to deal with it, or that we would just say, oh well, you know, our time's up, time to go. Uh, but really, I mean, that's that's not the way. Things generally work, and I mean it's. Uh, Terakeen, I need more um, Terakeen. They're very well-rounded uh, characters, and they really raise a lot of very uncomfortable questions. I would like to see more episodes. Yeah, sorry, Chris, you go. Oh no, I was just saying that I, I, I like the scene we're listening to right now. I really dug because it's it's that it's the classic, um, like the like the the sick bay noises. Like it's just. Uh, uh, it, it felt very immersive. Uh, I, I uh, it's 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 very um, evocative of, of of the room. You know, I, I you know, no one likes hospitals and stuff like that. I always found the sick bay to be an inviting place, but at the same time, too, it's like terrible things happen there. So I really do like the tension of the of the of the audio design of the sick bay here. Doctor, I promise. Yeah, the tricorder scan and yeah. Commander Dovan was with me. He can vouch for that. There are 23 people in here who started showing symptoms of the phage at exactly the same time, and we're getting another. And this is exactly the people starting to realize, hey, where the hell did it come from? The Vidians went through this stuff, and we thought we wouldn't be like that, but what did you find? We're starting to go that way. Mm -hmm. uh, just a little bit. Uh, I I think I have I, I can't find it anywhere, but um, I, and and some early early draft. I think I think I just took it into this other direction, but um, in the Voyager episode Think Tank, uh, Jason Alexander's character claims that that Think Tank had cured the the Vidians of the phage. Mm -hmm. So I think I think one draft was trying to find the Think Tank people. Or like finding other, and it's just it. I, I it, it, again, it got too much like 
Yeah. These Hail Marys, like, let's go travel here. It's like, no, 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 let's let's stay here. Let's let's keep it in store. But, um, they, but they never ever went into that on Star Trek because they, I, I don't know if, mm-hmm. they, if that guy was lying or they never, like, we, I don't think we've even heard of, of the Vidians after. Um, no, that was the last reference in canon to Vidians, which is a disappointment. Uh, because they were established really interesting in this first season, and then they Voyager, of course, had to move on to different areas of the galaxy, so they couldn't keep on being with the same species for seven years like DS9, but we lost touch with the Fidians, and then all we get is this one line in season six that says, oh, we cured that. I'm like, well, what does that mean for the society? Did it work? Was this guy lying? Or, or did it evolve into something even more horrifying? Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there might have been a version of your pitch, at least, I may be inserting this in my head now, but uh, there might have been a version of your pitch where the foundation of this episode is they cured the phage. The think tank cured the phage, but the the phage cure didn't work, and it evolved into this. And this is what mm-hmm. comes of working with a think tank, because they're the worst. Yeah the, the, yeah, the think tank is really, in a lot of ways, they were the nast- some of the nastiest uh, people that uh, that anybody came across in any of the series. I mean, really, by the end of the end of the series, it was like I'd like to take that smirking Jason Alexander and just ah, you know find horrible ways to dispose of that of that guy. Because really, yeah, they were they were really some hardcore low lives when you get down to it. No, yeah, dissolved. Internal organs dissolved. Uh, nice. Those who chose to persist typically died of pain. Trying to figure out what page we're on. Begin. Was there any treatment? In addition to various pills, injections, and chemical inhibitors, necrotic tissue was typically debrided from the body. Skin removal. Affirmative. That explains why they always looked like mummies. There we go. Skin grafts. Uh, I think page 20. Lives. 39 of my copy, but I have a post-production copy, which yeah. I, you probably don't have. This is probably also like a, I, I don't know what version this is that I, have, <laughs> yeah. I, that I grabbed. I mean, in fact, even have this script is nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> I am a pack rat. I've got revision 2, draft 2, all, a.k.a. R2-D2. Uh, I think somebody uh, had what was it? I don't remember what it was. It was like a conversation, like if Data's skin is um, actually organic, could could Data's outer layer suffer from the phage, or like what if Data was bitten by a zombie? Like would would he still like his, his like he wouldn't turn into a zombie? Like would his skin? But would his skin turn into a zombie? Yeah, I've never heard of that one. That's kind of cool, right? If he got like. Could, well, could yeah. he get like the flesh eating disease or something? Well, uh, remember in the, he was the, the first uh, contact. They wiped out his face. Yeah, yeah, in the first in the first season of, of TNG, uh, in that god awful script that they reworked from, uh, from oh, the original yeah, the series. Naked, yeah, the naked time to the naked, naked time, now. Yeah, yeah, he got drunk. Yeah, yeah. So they, he could that something something biochemical got in got in yeah. through his skin pores. So yeah, sure. I buy it. And I could I could also see him being a vector member of the the the, uh, the deadly uh, the one episode of the original series where Spock was uh, said that he was a carrier he wasn't affected but he would have infected everybody else and maybe that could have been a, a data type of situation too yeah 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 are you okay. I'm fine, sir. And uh, really a shout out here to Elise Crowick, who just, it's just terrific, I think. 
just really, um, really I, plays the captain very well. If she were here, she would be very, I think she'd be thanking you, Chris, for giving her a chance to just be the captain for an episode. Because this is where she got to shine as Captain Rachel Cortez and not the dead Captain Rachel Cortez. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, she's she's done very well uh, for us uh, in dual roles as Skipper Sam Cox. Yes, but she's loved that Cox, role. Yeah, but Skipper Cox is very different than Captain Cortez. Yeah. Well, deliberately. Yeah, it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna recast the person who played the captain, you've got to make it a real different different role. (laughs) Yeah, but she was able to pull it off, which um, you know was one of those things where um, apparently, uh, if I recall correctly, she had very limited uh, acting background, if any at all. And, I think I think not. Yeah, and uh, that's so. I mean, it's very impressive to me what she's what she's been able to do for us and. Melissa, We've made a lot of demands on her. What's the matter? The captain told me that. I have the vague memory. Well, no, I don't have any memory of what happened with the revisions of the script, but I have the feeling that I inserted this scene because it's got a long speech in it that I don't like. <laughs> and I can often recognize the scenes I inserted by the fact that I dislike them. Looks that way. I swear this so anyone who's listening to this and thinks, oh boy, Chris made us listen to a really long quotation from the Hippocratic Oath. No, that was me. I did that. <laughs> That's my fault. Well, no, I, I like, you know, I mean, I, I think one of the things about Star Trek is, is you know, again, the, the realism and the grounding. So I, I don't know. I, I can see myself pulling from the Hippocratic Oath or even, you know, in Star Trek, they, they quote a variety of, of, of people and, 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 and places and things and stuff like that. So I don't know. We, we, we might have to. We should fight. Fight over who, 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 who decided to put the Hippocratic yeah. Oath in there. I, I, I can see you have put the. I, I can believe you putting in the Hippocratic Oath, but it would be me who said, no, let's do 200 words in the Hippocratic Oath. I have the sense you would have said, no, 20 words is good. <laughs> do no harm. Everyone knows that bit. Yeah, yeah, that's. Wouldn't they want and then the the snake eating its own tail, Ouroboros. That's the other part. Yeah, right. You're comfortable with ah. us living because they died. Tell me, Alcar, what's an uncomfortable number for you? Uh-huh. Now we start to get into some hardcore rationalization here. Uh, she's just quoting Picard now from Insurrection. That's yeah, what she read. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, also, too, I was, uh, uh, I think, uh, narrowing it down. My, my favorite track still is uh, is D Space Nine. And that was the last stuff they had to grapple with. It's like, okay, yeah. well, we're, 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 uh, we're in wartime. And. How many people do I have to kill before we can go back to normalcy? And, you know, Cisco was an engineer. He was a peaceful man. And, he, you know, he had, a, he had to all of a sudden, uh, you know, lead whole armies to, to you know. No. In, in the 24th century, I don't think people are as bloodthirsty or, or, or have that interest for war. Or I, I think that's what Roddenberry's argument was. So, um uh yeah so that's that was that's why i loved uh ds9 yeah the whole idea of post-scarcity society uh where everybody has whatever they need um uh really does uh, does present problems from a from a dramatic standpoint i mean it's like uh, roddenberry went way too far with the original concept of tng we can't have any conflict because humans have evolved okay 
what kind of stories are we going to be able to tell if we do that? I mean, this is like, no, no, boss, you're, you know. And yet they did find, you know, seasons two and three of TNG are still under that edict. And there are parts that are stilted, but they found their, they found their voice and they found ways yeah. to do it. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of that's down to Michael Piller, who did mm-hmm. write my, my favorite Star Trek movie, Insurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, I I keep looping That's back to it because I love it. Oh, I've got I've got the book. I've got. Oh okay. Oh, well, okay. Well, 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 well that makes one of you. Recommendation. Oh, there you go. Fade <laughs> <laughs> hey, in hey. the writing of Star Trek Insurrection. This is this is actually an exceptional book. It's like seventy dollars or something, but it is. Oh. It's got every draft, and it's got all of Pillar's. It's it's just it's Pillar's book. He wrote about how it came about and he how all the drafts evolved and how they interacted with the 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 studio uh and all the notes from patrick stewart and things that led to different kinds of changes and it's like oh i can see how you made this movie and i can see the mistakes you made i i can recognize there are mistakes in insurrection yeah some very serious mistakes (laughs) still the best still the best yeah, like the but interstellar dune buggy. Yeah, please. Hey, that was Nemesis. No, yeah, you can't you can't be blaming Insurrection for the dune buggy. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Also, I love the dune buggy for audio. I keep finding excuses to put the dune buggy into audio dramas because that sounds great. Yeah. Because I have to this day not had a single dream about my mother. May I share with you? Oh, I love that bit. I can't think of any. That was you. You came up with that. It is said the whole world is a dream. And death be the interpreter. Fascinating. Mm. What does it mean? I hope that you will soon be able to tell me. I hope that I won't. What about the Vidians? Weren't you right. able to learn anything from their example? The deaths of those who lived here were not... I would prefer to draw my lessons from others. I understand. <laughs> These people ended their lives trying to take the galaxy with them. Not the best interpretation of the dream. When the Vidians here learned that they were the last surviving Vidians, when the mutation arrived here at the research base, they surrendered. They stopped looking for the cure. Anarchy broke out. It took four days for the 2,000 Vidians who lived and worked here to whittle themselves down to 12. <sighs> it was those 12 who agreed to a ceasefire. Those 12 who began the project to spread the phage to other races. One of the fun things about Star Trek is how it's constantly giving you ideas for other stories you want to write. Like, you hear about the Tarsus Four thing, you're like, I've got to write a story about what happened at Tarsus Four and Wild Kirk and the Kodos the Executioner. But that, that's my line from the episode. It took four days for the 2,000 Vidians who lived and worked here to whittle themselves down to 12. What was that like? I guess it was probably a lot like this, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. It involved yeah, no, I, 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 the, there's so many great gaps where you go, what, what happened in that moment, or like, what, what happened to SETI Alpha four or five? Like, what, why did the planet blow up? You know, it's like, hey, you know, these are these are excellent questions. You know, so much of the, so much of good writing involves how deep do you go with the backstory, and uh, do you need a backstory? Well, sometimes the backstory is better than the than the front story, if <laughs> because that's uh, that was the way. Uh, Dune originated. Frank Herbert was working on Dune Messiah before he was actually working on Dune. Really? He built the backstory for Dune, for Paul Atreides. He realized uh, at some point, this is, I I don't know, he's never come out and said this, 
But I think he just realized yes. that the story of doom, of how Paul Atreides got then to where he was, was a hell of a lot more entertaining and a lot better, much more saleable than Doom Messiah, which it was. Uh, most of us, uh, most of us, I think, it's an acquired agree, taste. Whether we like the story or not. Dune is a classic. Dune Messiah is, is like uh, for completists. Let's put yeah. it that way. If you want there to really you follow the whole thing, then, then you need to know that. But that was that was the thing. It's like, yeah, that was interesting. Wow. And so, and that that happened, I think, also to some extent with uh, Star Wars. I think there was some of that some of that involved. Orson Scott Card Ender's Game was also background for the story he was actually writing, which was Children of the Mind. Children. What was the second book called? I don't remember now. Remember. Speaker for the Dead. Speaker for the Dead was book two. Yeah. He wrote, started writing that, and then said, "I got to explain this Ender guy. I'll write a short story about that." And then it was a book, and then he published it, and then it was a big hit. I guess on that, that's a decent segue into this is the most cliche question, Chris. Where do you get your ideas? But where'd you get the idea for this? Show. Uh, did you well, start with Vidians and kind of go from there? Or? Well, I, I, um, oddly enough, I, um, when I was looking at my notes, uh, well, not my notes, but uh, there's a Star Trek Voyager episode called Memorial. Yes. Which, which in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I think I did not intend to borrow as much as I did from that episode. Um, but certainly, what. What I think Star Trek, right uh, the first series and, and a little bit of Next Generation suffered from is that Roddenberry wanted shows to end a certain way and and not necessarily have massive ships and characters and, and, and change it like that. So, you know, they, they did have to find interesting ways to kind of change stuff. And, and one of my favorite Next Gen episodes was when um, they all get their memories wiped and they're trying to figure out who they are. And then, you know, all of a sudden, uh, Riker sleeps with Roe, and, um, you know, Worf thinks he's the captain. And then it's like, well, you know, they got to cheat. They got to be out of character without being out of character. So um, I wanted to write something that didn't necessarily, that, that shook stuff up in a way that wasn't going to completely change people's lives, but still, like, I wanted a bit of a cheat. I wanted to be able to, so, so for my first thought, was like, oh, maybe something happens. And, um, you know, what are the tropes? Like a, a, a something on the holodeck and, uh, you know, we, we, we think that it's it's real and then we realize it's a, it's a dream. So I, I did want something where it's like there's a, like a reset button is hit and I was thinking about something that happens and then something temporal resets it. But that, that I, I was nervous I wasn't able to do it well. And then I was like, well, what do I like? And I kind of just... I think a lot of times when the, my creative process is, is very much like a, a pastiche of stuff, I was like, well, what, what, what do I like? And then I kind of lump it together. I was like, what didn't work? And then that leaves. And then whatever is left over is like, okay, how do I find a connective tissue? So I somehow wound up with Vidians. I somehow wound up with um, uh, this this like dilemma of, of uh, what would you do if you – uh, had uh, you know had limited time, limited resources. You know what what do people do when they're desperate? Um, but I also didn't want to change the character so much where it's like, oh my goodness, now this person. No, so I I I, 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 I knew I was going to hit a reset button at one point. I remember I I knew, and I and it said in the contest rules, you know, this doesn't have to be in continuity. I remember I encouraged you 
to take the ending and just make it they all die the end yeah and you resisted me on that and i i went back a few years later and i just said I sent an email to someone named Chris Chan Roberson, but now I wonder if it was actually you. But I never heard, I never heard back, and it was a different okay. email address from your current email address. Okay. And I said, but but what I said in the email was, I, I'm glad you resisted me on it because the last scene where they talk about, uh, well, that wasn't me, and then they get in the turbo lift, and Jovan turns to Cortez and says, "No, that was totally me. That was 100 percent me. I don't know what they're talking about." Um, I think that's the most effective and hard-hitting part of the episode. And it would have been ruined if they'd all died. Uh, this way, they could have to step back and look at themselves and say, I was... That's not who I want to be, and yet it's who I was. And that what did you put in this really sells the episode. I really like it. It's my favorite part now. Oh, cool. I mean, when we, you know, we do get these moments throughout Trek history where the characters are like when Picard, inner light, where all of a sudden he's a different person, or, or the creation of Thomas Riker. Or when Cisco is um, transported to, you know, he's now a fictional, you know, he's a sci-fi writer. <laughs> that that you know, Star Trek can sometimes, you know, give characters a second opportunity, but not in a, in a Star Trekky way. So yeah, I, I think I did want to again try try and have it both ways, just to see if I could uh, if I could do it. But I I knew that the time travel would I I I'd screwed up somehow, and I, I you know I, I like my rules, I like my continuity. So I uh, so I think subconsciously I tapped into that uh, that Voyager episode where it was uh, um, you know, a memorial. Yeah, yeah, one of the, yeah, one of the very best Voyager episodes I thought. Really. Yeah. yeah, I was I just so. I was on a huge tear against reset buttons at the time because that was the thing everyone hated about well Voyager was how yeah. they would hit the reset button. But I think the difference between a Voy a classic Voyager reset button and this is that in a Voyager reset button there would be a temporal thing and no one would know what happened, so it would have no effect on anyone. Whereas this, it was like no, 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 we still got to sit with this, so it works. Yeah, um, I'm so yeah, and, and and one day you're able to go, wow, you know, I I I can sleep easy knowing that I was under his alien influence, and then the next day it's like, I can't sleep easy, alien influence. It's I still was going to kill that guy. I still was going to kill myself. I still was going to, you know, yeah. So, you know, you know, you know it's one thing. Alien influence might have been a nudge, not a push. You push and you get you get you push you get pushed and you push back. A nudge can be a lot more effective because it can. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay. You you really don't realize that you're getting closer and closer to the line, and then all of a sudden you realize, right. you get back and say, "Man, I stepped way over the line here." It's like, I can't believe I did that. That's that's not how I see myself. It's what you're talking about earlier, Mike, and with with DS9 and and that speech Bashir gives in past tense. You know, if we went, if we were in a hard enough situation, would we become this? And yeah, we might. I mean, it's what is it? Two years until the battle riots? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We we got two more years, and then um, you know, that we, if you see a guy named Gabriel up. Bell in the newspaper, then run. We called it. We <laughs> predicted it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, instead of Chris Brenner, it's going to be Elon Musk who owns the net. Uh, but Enderby's already stage two. Oh, there's my brother-in-law. Oh, yeah. Enderby, yeah, he's he's the dead. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, having subconsciously taken stuff from Memorial either. Um, there was a balance of terror is, of course, 
everyone's one of the best original series episodes, in my opinion. And uh, someone once confronted the writer and said, hey, why'd you steal the whole plot of The Enemy Below, uh, a 1957 submarine movie? And he said, I did what? And he went back and he looked at the movie and said, oh, shoot, yeah, I did see that. And I clearly stole it. Well, sorry? That was a great movie. But it's a great episode. It's a good movie. I like the episode better than the movie, actually. Yeah, um, the episode was... That's really good. Really did so many things so very as well. As yeah, wear that uniform, Mr. I had a little extra to it that the the movie didn't have. Had the wedding and the the flag yeah, of bigotry. Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that was the, it. Introduced the Romulans too. Right. That's the yeah. first. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We got a yeah. chance to meet Mark Leonard, who is uh, such a such a you know one of those Classic. great threads that that ran through all the series. What a wonderful wonderful actor. Yeah. yeah. So when I saw Memorial, which actually I think I saw Memorial for the first time after we produced No One Gets Out Alive because I was not, I missed a lot of Voyager first run because my parents said it was inappropriate. Um, <laughs> I'd seen all of Next Gen and then I, I missed a lot of first run Voyager. Um, uh, it did not occur to me that it was, it, it, it felt like it's it shares a similar trope. It shares a similar sort of, uh, premise but it goes off in a very different sort of direction with it no. it does a lot of different stuff with it so. i think also um especially too with star trek being around for 50 60 years you, you're, you're going to you're bound to recite it, it, you're going to have some sort of repeat or some sort of just crossover just yeah. whether you like it or not 60 years worth of stories hundreds of hours worth of stories you're going to you're going to have overlap well, yeah there's only four stories in the first place so. yeah, that was, that was, that's what i was i was gonna i was just gonna bring that up because i mean how many stories are there anyway what? you know yeah, yeah. And so, so, really, to me, that kind of criticism really is just like, well, it's amusing, but it's not, to me, it's so, like, so what? You know, yeah, like, it comes down to, what does it do to these characters in this time? And I'm pretty interested in what it does to these characters. This is Chris Bain, is that Chris Bainbridge or Gareth Foley? Never mind. What's happening here? The, I, I, you know, again, the 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 episode. I think there's such great sound design that, um, it, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, I I I grew up. My mom would, you know, we listened to the shadow and uh, a lot of audio uh, plays and stuff like that. And it, it did have to build the world, but because I think the world's already existing, even just like when when just someone gets like a combat signal or or a sick bay, I, it just the, the, this episode is really nice where I can just you know, there, there's sound going on. I close my eyes, like okay, I can totally visualize them on the bridge or the ready room or the sick bay and. <laughs> I think that's it's just uh, it really helps me absorb stuff a lot quicker just because of the um, uh, choices, the sound choices, and the uh, the sound design. So just a lot of fun just really listening to this. Mm-hmm. One thing I've really enjoyed is listening to the new Star Treks, uh, and uh, we eventually took this whole. We took got most of our library from Darker Projects, which made Section Thirty One files, and we added a few things to it over the years, uh, and then we. Uh, Eventually donated our library to Trek Corps, uh, which has has it on their iconic sounds page, uh, and it's very clear that CBS eventually went. 
to TrekCore and downloaded the iconic sounds library <laughs> with the result that, I mean, most of those are direct rips. And so it's completely legitimate. It's like, okay, this is just your sound that you've recycled through the TrekCore library. But every once in a while, I'm listening to Lower Decks and I'm hearing them like power, they're, they're powered up a conduit on the royal ship that the Chief Billups' family is from. And I'm like, I made that one. <laughs> I used the Star Trek bass sound, but I did that. <laughs> um, nice. So nice. now we've kind of gone around the horn and become extra authentic by becoming the authentic sound effects that they actually use in the show. <laughs> hey, that's good. Uh, yes. That's, I mean, that's... Only in Star Trek. <laughs> Only in Star Trek. Hey, I'm, I'm glad they love the fans. Yeah. The hole in your chest is barely cauterized. Your yeah. vitals aren't stable. I'm dying. Everyone really enjoys a death scene, right? Actors, yeah. at least. Oh, yeah. That's... Yeah. I know Rollin, uh, Michael, Bla Michael Liebman, and Caitlin Haney are uh, eating their hearts out doing this scene. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you were plugged in enough to know that uh, that Michael Liebman left us. He is, he's passed away, and uh, oh. that was you know such a sad, you know, devastating thing. Because Michael just was so much of a so much of our core uh, repertory, um, you know, and uh, really just overcoming that was really. If there was anything that might have derailed the show, I think that might have been the one one particular thing that you know was really a I mean, that was a hell of a month, because yeah. Michael Liebman dies three weeks after the Axanar lawsuit closes, and the guidelines come out, and we don't know what they mean. Yeah. And we're in the middle of working on the 50th. That was a, that was a very bad month. I, I, I cried a lot that month. Um, yeah. yeah, there was a little, little PTSD there on yeah. a lot of different levels. Or, or, or just TSD, just no yeah. P about it. It was we were right in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're just I'm very lucky that uh, cooler heads, just outside of Paramount, prevailed because, like I said, they could have dropped the hammer and really there would have just been nothing more to say. I mean, that would, that would have been it. And it, they would have been in their legal right. Oh, I, absolutely, so, yeah. and I mean, certainly. And uh, don't make any admissions against legal interest on a live stream, Mike. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but I mean, no, but I mean, saying you know that was the law, and you know that's you know could have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and ah, the riots breaking out here. The things, the the th the thread that that knits everything together is starting to come unraveled here. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and uh, again, just it, it's uh, very immersive. I think the the the, the screaming and rioting is uh, sounds sounds great, sounds threatening. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, um, this is just... one one is never sure with when you produce a a show, a, an episode from someone else's script. You know, did they actually like what came out of it? Mm -hmm. um, especially when yeah. you lose touch. Um, yeah. Yeah, because you could have could have gone Harlan Ellison on us, and <laughs> yes. I, I I know for a fact that there are act, there are writers for Excelsior episodes who were not happy with how their episodes turned out. Uh, we're not happy with the rewrites, and we're not happy with the production, and uh, that's always disappointing when that happens. Oh. So yeah, I mean, I, I besides writing, you know, I, I direct, and I, I do think that sometimes you have to just let it go. So I'm very happy to say that I I'm glad of that. Let it let it go, and you know, again, the Percy Squares, the 
the doing, you know, being on the outside of the ship, the the sick bay, all the stuff. It, it, it feels like I'm watching a Trek episode. It's it's great. Fantastic. Now you were you were gonna do an episode for season four called The Well. I don't know if you remember this. Um, oh yes, you had started thinking about how to do. It was, I think it was a Prime Directive episode. I don't remember anything about it except the title. Uh, right in the middle of discussing that, we lost touch. Uh, I think you changed email addresses or something. Uh, yeah. uh, and I wondered if you could tell me anything else about the well, because I wondered for years if it went any further than that. I think it, it's something where... Oh, i got to think about this for a second, but that, that, there, that there is... Um, I think I like the the ship is battling Orions, and um, like a, a planet's damaged in the process, and there's like a, 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 a like their their water system is damaged. And so yeah, they, they go down to fix the water system, but there's like uh, you know again it's, it's allegories to culture and allegories to um, oh I think they're like they're a caste system, and the people that are fixing it are like oh when the warrior caste comes back. They're going to kill you. And it's like, well, we, we, we're here to fix it. So, you know, if that, when they come back, great, but otherwise we're not going to leave. So it's, again, it's like morals and, 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 and I, wow, like, wow, I, I'm, I'm shocked I remember any of these things. I have to track that down. I got it somewhere. Yeah. But I, I wondered well. if it ever, if it ever found a home. Um, no, 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 it's out. I'm, I'm sure it's outlined somewhere. But uh, yeah, let me. I, 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 it's got to be in some database. Wow, the well. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, transport. That sounds. Good. I like the I like the concept of the Orions because you have somebody who's like outside the Federation, doesn't want to be in the Federation, couldn't care less about it. You know, you can take your human values and shove them. We like slavery. We like uh, the vice and everything. They're space pirates. Right, you know, why wouldn't? Why wouldn't <laughs> yeah. And and to me, that's like that. That really, they're not all space pirates. Tendi yeah. gets no. mad about that. Yeah, but <laughs> the Federation, yeah. the Federation does. When you say, "Okay, we've got the Federation," that does raise the question of what's outside the Federation. Is that every civilized world? Uh, you know, is that every civilization? Well, does everybody buy into all the values of the Federation? And it's like, well, and then do they buy into the Klingons or do they buy into the Romulans? No, you got these people doing their own damn thing out there. You know, party, party all the time. You know, kill everybody, live. You know, you know, live short. Live it up, you know, whatever, and yeah. you know, bring on the slave girls and whatever. That to me is a, another thread that's never really been followed up all that effectively. That, uh, they had that in the... What was that in, in Enterprise where they yep. they had the like had the sequence, I which I thought I thought worked pretty well. I thought that was a, that wasn't the person I am either. Was a good, I was surprised. It up pretty well, yeah. yeah. From time to time, but I would never draw a phaser on you. Yeah, you would, Melissa. That wasn't the person I am. Enough, everyone. Oh, here we are. View what yep. happened as a it's coming to an end. It's what life doesn't normally give us. A second, a second chance. chance. Now that we know what we'll be tempted to do when things get desperate, we'll be prepared for it when the time actually comes. Do not look poorly on yourselves or your crewmates. Think of what happened as a dream. Now, you've all been through a lot. And some of these characters have died, moment, and they have acquitted themselves well in doing so. So, 
I guess mm-hmm. I learned something here. Mm-hmm. Here, no one gets out alive. Cobra lift doors, right? You know, just I can, I can picture, I can picture them. Deck twelve. Captain. Great. Yes, Dovan. Rawl and Ubari have scheduled the Parisi Squares rematch for the day after tomorrow. Would you like to join us? Like I said, Commander. Just get them playing Parisi Square again. Well, I don't know about the rest of them, but I know this: that was exactly the person I am. Yes. Me too. How do we get past this? Past what we could have done. For shame, Commander. You're asking how we get past ourselves. The answer to that's easy. Wherever you go, there you are. So, <laughs> Forgot that. Be our last. Sound advice. backdrop. Uh... <laughs> yeah. When is that Parisa Squares match again? Day after tomorrow, 1900. I'll be there. <laughs> I'll replicate an ion mallet for you. I'll bring my own. So you do play. See you on the court, Commander. The end. What? What? what wasn't yeah, there some? Of Star Trek uh, Rachel Cortez was played by Elise. What, was this going to be animated Rocco at one Devan, point? I remember there was like yeah, some drawings. So, or... oh, yes. there was. This is a story. In I don't know. Johnny Nemo came to us and said, "Hey, I'd like to make." an animation of one of your shows. And we said, yes, absolutely. Hell yes. Uh, please, by all means, make an animation of one of our shows. Uh, and then uh, he started, he did some concept art. Uh, he, he put together some, some. we have a picture of Red Gavi is the, um, uh, is, is the uh, is the cover art for this episode. He, he had a concept of Red Gavi and Blue Gavi, and Red Gavi would be the good Gavi, and Blue Gavi would be the bad, or the other way. Red Gavi would be kind of Gavi when she's talking mean, and Blue Gavi would be Gavi when she's being sweet. Um, and then he just kind of, he, he pulled out um, after about six months of discussion and, and sort of preliminary work, uh, and then nothing, nothing ever came of that. Johnny Nemo then came back to the show many years later uh, uh, and and did uh, some more art, but never wanted to do another big thing like a motion comic because it, it just hadn't worked out for him. Uh, so he did some really lovely art, and then he died like six months ago. Um, Yes, and we never really found out how he died, uh, but we, we're dedicating our episode, which is coming out tomorrow, to to him, uh, because he, he, he did some good stuff. Now, what did eventually happen is, um, I asked our transcriptionist, Peter Stein, to please just put these up. He knows how to do YouTube, I don't understand YouTube. So I said, please just take these episodes and put like a, like a star field up and like the logo and just put it on YouTube. And he said, I can do a little better than that. Uh, and so he did end up an- doing a sort of uh, a machinima style animation uh, uh, of of no one gets out alive as his pilot uh, sort of episode, uh, and it, it's it's really just it's little you know clips of people moving around stages, um, but it works. Uh, it's it's something you can look at while you're watching the episode. Uh, so it's nothing that's going to blow you over and say, oh, this is a really cool motion sonic in the style of Bryce of Bruce Tim, which was uh, what Johnny Nemo's vision for it was, but uh, it. It's fun. Uh, people spin around in the right moments when they get hit in the crazy <laughs> square scene, and it's like, all right, this is this will do. No one gets out alive. Excelsior! I'll send you the link so yeah, you can. I'm sorry, yeah. So that's that is a regret that we that I have anyway that that we just couldn't make that work. And I think really, in looking back at it, Johnny was professional, and yeah. at that time we were very much amateurs. And I think he just really 
you know, we we just really were not on the same page. And I think there were a lot of things that he assumed that we knew and that we just simply didn't understand. And, yep. and, 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 and he needed time and attention and we didn't have it to give him. I was like, making a show, we've got jobs. It's, yeah, um, and he's know. like, no, 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 I'm doing this as a pro. I got to I need, I need, you know, yeah. focus. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I don't, I don't have it. And it, 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 it did not mesh up. Yeah. Uh, and later when he came back and did, did some poster art, that was a much more, yeah. at least on my end, it felt like a really, a really good relationship. I don't know yeah. how he felt about it. And now he's dead. So I, I won't get to ask him. Well, he did do uh, one little clip. There was a trailer that he did and Boy, it was really creepy. It was really well done. It was about a one minute mm-hmm. trailer, and uh, and it was just boy. Oh yeah, I've got that. Yeah, it's it's in. I've got that somewhere. Uh, it's on YouTube, probably. I mean, there's there's always you know once YouTube gets a hold of something, unless there's a copyright violation of you know gross copyright violation that somebody complains about, it it never goes away. And I remember seeing that. I was thinking, boy, that is really creepy. That is really good. And uh, so it's just one of those unfortunate things that it just it just didn't didn't quite you know that things never quite worked out. But I'm glad that that Johnny was able to to re up with us and and hopefully we you know we parted on good terms. And, yeah, uh, you know, and he, he did. He helped improve Peter's uh, animations as he went on to start doing season one. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Peter's starting to learn some interesting tricks to make it more realistic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no one gets out alive was his first one, and it uh, it it was it was like okay, now I can watch Excelsior instead of just listen to it. That was, mm-hmm. that was nice. Yeah. And that's so we uh, you know I, I'm amazed that was that's the running time of like 64 minutes, and it just felt I don't know for you guys who may feel like forever but for me it feels like we just got started <laughs> and it's really a, really amazing how quickly that went yeah. um no there's a lot of you know and it's it's uh there's a lot of great ensemble stuff we we you know people get their chance to to have some spotlight stuff and some mm-hmm. good exchanges and some some good drama you know I, I, again for me I, I as much as i may love a good starship battle as much as i love a good um explosion i don't know i i i'm into star trek for the for just the human interest stories and for the relationships and um you know the i i never saw the 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 ships as like battleships i saw them as flying homes you know right. these are this is where people live and this is where they conduct business and where they do science and and so yeah, no, I I I said so yeah, I wasn't really you know I I wanted to write some fight scenes, but I really wanted more of the the drama. That's why that's why I like why I watch Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and uh, that suits the audio drama format very well. So it certainly does. Yeah, we can't do any flashbang with the sword fights, but we can <laughs> we can talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully hopefully build characters and uh, and build a universe and. Maybe yeah. once in a while, ask some uh, questions that might even make you a little nervous at times, a little bit uneasy, and that's yeah. that's that's good. Uh, that you don't have. My feeling is that uh, I I don't like the idea of telling people this is the answer. I do like the idea once in a while of saying, "Okay, here's the question. You know, how do you deal with it?" And that's when Star Trek was always at its best. When it comes out and says racism is bad, it's like, all right, well. Yes, okay, racism thanks. is bad, but yeah. Yeah. let's let's explore. Let's let's do an episode where O'Brien is racist against Cardassians, and we love O'Brien, 
And what does that mean for him? How does it impact him? And then we can sort of flesh it out. Um, A duet is in DS9 is one of my favorite episodes of all time because Mm -hmm. Kira is full bore anti-Cardassian hatred. And then that gets unwound as the episode goes on and you end up questioning everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I know it's almost midnight, Chris. I don't want to uh, impose <laughs> on your time uh, for you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been great to get to know you. Uh, and uh, thank you for making this episode all these years ago. Uh, yeah. I, no, I was going to say thank you again for the opportunity. And, and again, the pleasure is all mine just to be able to chat with you guys uh, so many years later and, and, and kind of revisit the material. But, you know, again, most importantly, um, I, I'm flattered and honored that I that I was able to to to, to play with you guys and 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 do what we you know share a passion. So thank you so much. I, I thank you for the opportunity. Well, it's, it's, the pleasure is ours, and, and the good fortune is ours. And and who knows? Maybe there's another maybe there's another script in there. Maybe you'll find the well and, and say, <laughs> and hey, we'll find a production here. slot. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's the, the trick right now. That is it, because we're booked up uh, pretty pretty far we're down heading, the road. We're but. heading to the end. Yeah, we're, we're going to be done in four years. I don't know, <laughs> eight episodes. How long does it take us to make eight episodes these days, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did a great job on this one, by the way. I don't want to end this without saying great work, executive producing. No one gets out alive, Mike. Yeah, you rocked it. That's, yeah, that's good because uh, I, you know, I can at least say yes. I I did it. You know, uh, I had the opportunity. I I got it done, and and uh, and uh, it was it was an interesting interesting experience, and uh, and I'm just you know I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, that this is held in this episode is held in high regard, which uh, mm-hmm. yeah. is, again goes back to the script. And thank you, Chris. Thank you, James. And it's been a it's been a great uh, great conversation and very enjoyable. I hope everyone enjoyed it as well. All right, I'm gonna hit the stop button right there. Bang.